Listener Production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all suited up, strapped in for part two of my convo with Australian Rally Championship Hall of Famer, Neil Bates. If you've hit the start button on this one before taking in part one, hit the kill switch and jump back into that one in the Rusty's library. You'll learn how the Bates brothers learned to drive on the suburban roads around Canberra before the housing estates were even occupied, winning a competition that would change his life, and how... For a time, it might have been a career in touring cars, despite his true love of rally. How nervous he was when Toyota asked him to race on the conservative side at Bathurst, but his co-driver demanded he go hard. Working two jobs to make it to the start line. How pace notes work, and how Coral Taylor initially turned down an offer to navigate for him, and much more. We begin part two on some special cars he's managed to keep and a Celica that helped etch his name in the ARC record books. I want to come back to Possum because I think that's an important chapter to deal with that I know rally fans and, and audiences would love to know more about. Before coming upstairs to the um, to your office today with no computer, uh, to to <laughs> well, there to, is an iPad. There is an iPad. Yeah. Okay, let, let, let's not play it down too much. <laughs> we did walk past a couple of very memorable cars, and am I right in saying among them is your Celica that won the first championship? Is that uh, downstairs? Yeah, yeah ST one eight five down there, Fantastic. which is the car that won the first Australian Rally Championship, which was in. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you talk about Coral. Coral started in 1993. We won the 93, the 94 and the 95 Australian Rally Championships. So you could probably say there was, you know. Something in that. Something mm. in that. Mm. And um, But that car obviously was, uh, you know, a car that won the first championship. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have all the cars that I won championships in. And, you know, now Harry and Laws have started winning championships. This whole thing's getting much harder because. <laughs> the Bates you know, Museum. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, all of a sudden it's becoming a bit expensive to have all these cars. cars. So, so we'll how, see how that goes in the future. But uh, certainly I've got all the cars that I won championships mm. in. So I've got the ST185. Uh, I've got the ST205, which yep. I won. The Haviland car. The, the Haviland yeah, car. which yep. I won the. Finished the 94 championship and won the 95 championship mm-hmm. and also won Target Tasmania mm-hmm. in that car. And then also I've got the S2000 car, which we won the, the 2008 Australian Rally Championship in. So Brilliant. It was a pretty long gap there. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, it's a, where I'm leading here with that first car, what that mean to the boy from Canberra who'd been inspired by the likes of Ari Vartman sliding it sideways around events here in, in your hometown to be in the record books as an Australian rally champion. How much did that first title mean? Yeah, that uh, it meant a lot, you know, uh, because really I should have won the championship in 91, mm-hmm. um, but there was a, a bit of a uh, thing with Subaru and Rob Herridge and, and you know, where they had a they crashed out of the last round and then, there was a rule back then about uh, you could be held in control by to fix an exhaust, which they uh, said they had a broken exhaust while the service crew went up there and fixed it. But that's in history. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, something that I was pretty bitter about at the time. Mm-hmm. I get on famously with Rob these yeah. days. Yeah. But, um, but you know, so to miss out on that and then to actually finally do it in 93 was, yeah, was uh, certainly uh, pretty exciting and at the time. Coral, when she delivers the co-driving stuff, is just unflappable and, and you need a voice that you can um, can kind of concentrate on too. She's got this sort of, um, I think to your words before, this, just, this very calm delivery and, and so on. She's a very organised person, we know that, but she does have um, moments out of the car where funny stuff happens so molly molly's told me about going to their place in sydney and you know open the microwave you might find a cup of coffee in there that she's heated and forgotten about or or something it'd be a cup of tea cup of tea would it coffee, but... <laughs> cup of tea sorry and she's notorious 
on occasion for losing room keys. Is that right? He says, shaking his head. Now, you've had to climb through windows and all sorts, haven't yeah. you? When I look at it, yeah. The, the best story with that was at a was uh, Tassie? I can't rally. Yeah, 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 a rally Taz. So it wasn't Target Tasmania. It was the Tarmac Rally run out of Burnie. And we're staying in this little um, little motel in Burnie. And um, so and they had the CAMS award for the Australian Rally Championship. And uh, so few things happened. One, the, I think the first scenario was a guy that we know was in Tassie, had, he, had his son with him. Mm-hmm. We'd gone out for dinner. He'd left his glasses at the restaurant. He'd gone back to the hotel with his son, realised he'd left his glasses there. His son had gone to bed, so uh-huh. he whizzed down to grab the glasses. In the meantime, his son has woken up and gone, oh, oh I'm no. with Neil Bates. <laughs> so he comes to the room, bangs on the door, got this child here, whatever. So that's number one when we've woken these people up. So then we um, do our recce. We fly over to Melbourne. We go to the CAMS Awards. We oh, then, this is a mission. You had to get a plane and everything, we, yeah, So we then got Bob Jane's helicopter to Moorabbin Airport. So we've gone in this multi-million dollar heli, uh, heli and then we've got to Moorabbin and we're walking out and I go, I imagine if it was that plane. That was it. Oh. So it was a single-seater four, like a four, uh, sorry, four-seater single-engine thing and, you know. Like a Learjet job or a No, or no, no, a, no, no, a prop. prop, prop. <laughs> like we're, we're talking a Cessna that we're uh, flying and uh, Mark Stacey was with us as well. So, uh, legendary code, right? Yeah, we're yeah. talking about the news as we go down in Bass Strait, and the, <laughs> most of the crews won't start the rally because you they're, they're, the they're, they're, they're all in the middle of Bass Strait <laughs> bobbing up and down. But so, this is um, not you got to fly this back at night time, is that right? So, oh. this was at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, we finally get back there, and um, then we you know, it's like three o'clock in the morning or something. Then, so go to get in the room, and Coral's got a bag and she's going through. Oh. I'm going, you are kidding me. Like, no key. No key. <laughs> so then, um, so then I go around and the window is open, but it's a bit high up. So I'm climbing up a tree trying to get up to this window. You look like a thief. Like a thief. <laughs> and then the security guy comes around, shines a torch on me. What are you doing? Well, trying to get into my room. But. So then he takes me to, and and this is a mum and dad run hotel, so yeah. he takes me to their thing, knock on the door, and then um, get a key, get in, done. So then the la- we win the rally. Back then there used to be big parties after rallies. I never, I never went out as a... As a youngster, but I probably made up for that after then. after they parties were, they or were rallies. legendary parties, yeah. mate. I've been to a couple of them, yeah. yes, yeah. So then, uh, you know, it's probably two in the morning again, whatever. Get. And I, before we went out, everyone's going, and Coral got the key, got the key, which she's going, got the key. But one of the guys, uh, uh, you know, wasn't feeling well or whatever, so Coral dropped him back while she was back there, went to the bathroom, whatever, and... Walked out without the key. Come, we didn't know that. So he walks out, no key. So get back there at two in the morning again. And I just said, I am not knocking on this guy's door again. Like, I've seen him in his jocks two nights in a row. I don't need to see him in his jocks a third night. So then we go, righto, we're sleeping in the car. So then we're in a Land Cruiser out the front. This is Tassie. But it's Tassie, it's freezing. But we don't want to start the car up because it's a little... Motel where you park out the front and yeah, you wake, go, everyone. You wake <laughs> everyone up. So I just go, oh, fuck. So <laughs> I go down, bash on the door. You're not going to believe the, this. You're not, and I said, there's good news and there's bad news. I said, we don't have the key again. 
but I said the good news is we're going home tomorrow. <laughs> so, so he gave me a key. And then when uh, we went to check out, his wife said that uh, he will forever sleep with, call it, I can't remember what room number, room 19 key under his pillow. <laughs> his pillow. <laughs> great yarn, great yarn. We love Coral. Hey, um, I work with Shane Jacobson, Kenny, famous actor in, in a couple of different capacities. He says for me to ask you about... Um, Ricky, I think in WA, he's done a couple of ARC events as a driver and you and Coral very kindly took him in and um, on reconnaissance were showing him the ropes, I think maybe helping him with a bit of bit, – Coral might have been helping him with pace notes and, and so on. And he says in the Ricky car, he, he was like – wide-eyed because you were going faster in the recce car than he reckons he would have gone in the actual rally car. He, he is such a funny guy. God. I remember that. And you know, and we were just cruising along in the forest you know, doing recce, although I probably do say maybe recce's were a little bit faster back then, then than what they are these days. days but, yeah. but um yeah, you, know, you never laugh so much than when you spend 10 minutes with him. And, yeah. and I remember when he did the rally at Calder, and you know the results came out, and uh, and and there was a couple of people behind him, and he goes, "God, imagine how they feel." <laughs> <laughs> As only he can do. Yeah. You've got written on some notes here, um, which have been very, very good to uh, to prompt me to remind me about motorbikes. And there was some early stuff with you around dirt bikes and schools. So you've always had a bit, a little bit of a love of. Uh, of the two-wheel stuff. I don't know if you can remember, but you took us back in the RPM days on a really cool dirt bike adventure around here. I think we ended up down towards um, Bateman's Bay, Bay. from memory. I, I might have run Mogo, out of fuel yeah. at, at one point. But the thing that sticks in my mind about that yarn, and um, we turned it into a, a, a bit of a longer uh, piece, and I think Greg Murphy and maybe Stephen Richards were a part of it. Scott Young, the producer, I think, said something along the lines of, right, we want to do something that will really test them, that might be a bit funny or whatever, and you go, I've got just the place. And you took us to this hill. I don't know where it was, but it may as well have been the dirt bike version of Mount Everest. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I remember, because I lent you, I had two bikes at the time. Did you loan me I had a deal with Yamaha at the time, and I had two bikes, and I lent you my WR250, which was the two-stroke one, and I had uh, my... uh, WR250 four-stroke. Yeah. What did I do? And <laughs> I remember coming around a corner because I wouldn't have said that my riding skills, you know, when you look yeah. compared to a Daryl Beattie or a, you know, whoever, my riding skills are probably average. But Mine. I will say I was probably slightly better than you one were Greg a Russ. lot better than me, a lot better. <laughs> and I remember coming around a corner like a really steep left-hander going up a really steep hill and I, my WR... 250 was cartwheeling back down the hill towards me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, mate. Yeah. I'm sorry. Do you still no. enjoy a bit of two-wheel stuff or not so much uh, nowadays? Look, I, I still have a motorbike, but I cannot tell you the last time I went riding. I do a lot of mountain biking mm-hmm. these days and probably it's just a bit easier, a bit quicker, a bit, you know. It's a time thing, isn't time, it? It's a time yeah. thing. Mm. And, and uh, so, you know, as I say, I can't tell you the last time I went motorbike riding, but if I hopped on one, I would still enjoy it for sure. Today. You brought up Possum Bourne before. That chapter of you guys in the Australian rally scene was amazing. I mean, he, he uh, crazy to think as you and I sit here, it's been just over 20 years since his passing. And I can recall being here at um, the ARC round in Canberra and sort of learning of the not his passing at that stage, but the severity of obviously what was unfolding and Cody and uh, Cody Crocker and Dean Herridge being quite understandably quite flat and and, and so on. <clears throat> that chapter for you guys, you know, to think that this Kiwi legend had had come across with a with a good car, you're going toe-to-toe. But it always struck me that in Service Park it seemed like a friendly rivalry. You guys actually got on pretty good. I'm sure when the helmets went on it was a different deal – but it, it seemed like this mutual respect thing. What was it like and, and how did that rivalry slash, slash friendship grow initially? Yeah, look, rallying has always been a, a very friendly sport when you look at it compared to to um, circuit racing, you know, like so when they would come to Canberra, they'd come, pardon me, to our workshop and do things and they'd come around home for dinner and, you know, uh, 
Possum and I got on very, very well. We were very similar people. We had a huge passion for trucks, mm. you know, which was our a little bit of a hobby between mm. us outside which rallying. And, you know, yeah. and um, I remember when he got his new new Volvo, which and it was for the Forest Rally, and I got my first Peterbilt and we went over there and um, I saw Mark Stacy in the main street of Nanup when we went for testing and he saw the Peterbilt and he goes, he just started laughing and he said, oh, Possum is going to be so pissed <laughs> because he sort of looked at this truck and thought, shit, I think he's outdone Possum, possum okay. truck-wise. <laughs> so, so, yeah, look, we had an amazing relationship. Uh, we got on incredibly well, yo. And I often think, you know, unfortunately when he died, we were building the Group NP car, mm. which was he was all for because he understood the sport very well. He understood the, what needed to happen mm. and he saw that the only way we could get back, you know, into the sport was with this Group NP car. And, um, you know, the, the, we had such a hard time, you know, after he, he was you know, pass away mm. with that car trying to get freedoms and trying to get it the same as the other cars. You know, it was such a tough time with that car to start you with. you he would have been in your corner a bit in that process? He would have been in our corner and understood it and seen the bigger picture. Gotcha. Whereas, um, you know, it was taken over then by, you know, people within Subaru and, you know, mm. Greg Valletta or whatever, and, you know, they were just so cautious in in you know any freedom that they might give us and argued every point to the nth degree mm. whereas possum would have understood it and said from a sporting point of from view from a sporting mm. point of view and mm. said no they need that because of this and mm. you know so so I, you know do, yeah look as rivals there was times when i hated him but mm. you know he was he was bloody hard to beat he beat me more than what i beat him which was you know disappointing and you know i look back at that a few things one is when you, you know, people always look and they look at me and they look at Toyota and I always think, oh, Toyota, you've always had these huge budgets and how lucky you are, but it's actually quite the opposite. You know, Toyota are very conservative. You know, they spend, a, you know, a, a very small amount on motor racing like in wisely. general and, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're very, uh, you know, they're very wise with what they do. You know, and, and I've only, you know, I always knew the possum had a bigger budget, but there's, you know, I've found out, you know, since and over the years that I think their budget was like five times bigger than ours. So, so you know, they always had a very good budget. And when I look at it, I probably should have won a couple of championships during that period, but I was sponsored by Dunlop at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, their tyre wasn't good enough for a World Rally car, but I was too loyal to them to, to you know, get rid of them and move to to Michelin, mm. which, you know, Possum had Prellies at the time. So there was a whole lot of things then when I sit back and look at it now. Mm. But, you know, you've got to remember I came from very, very humble backgrounds, learned a lot of, you mm. know, I'm a hell and of a lot. And loyalty is an important thing to you, mate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. mm. a hell of a lot stronger person these days than what mm. I was a lot of the times mm. along the way because I was always trying to do the right thing and always trying to, trying to help people and, you know, and that, that was at times to my detriment. Mm. How did his passing affect you? Yeah, it, it was, you know, it was uh, definitely very tough. As I say, we were very, very good friends and, you know, I, rem I remember going to the funeral and being incredibly, you know, emotional and upset and, you know, it's someone that I'd spent the last... Mm. 10 plus years of my life with you know for a, a huge amount of the time and and you know and as I say you know we all you know we used to sit down for you know at rallies for hours and talk mm. trucks and workshops and life and mm. you know mm. all those sorts of things so all of a sudden there's a it, hole there it, mm. there's a hole there that, mm. and that you don't have mm. for me the the kind of not zenith. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that, but it, it really sticks strongly in my mind. <clears throat> you may not remember, but in two thousand, you took myself and Mark Osler out to a test stage prior to Rally Melbourne. I reckon we we're out Yarra Valley somewhere. Yeah, you, you, I did. That was in the World Rally Car. car yeah, yeah, and Crompton was there as well yeah, that day. Yeah, yeah, and and that was my first chance. I want to. We'll dive into some of the cars in a bit more more detail here. Um, I can I can remember riding alongside you, thinking this is the most 
out of control and yet in control experience I could remember because I could see the way you worked <clears> the wheel. But if I looked out the window, it was like you're going to be in the trees in a, in, a, in, a, in a heartbeat. So you had this this WRC spec Corolla. He had this ProDrive spec Subaru. I mean, that was an iconic period for the sport, mate, really, wasn't it? With two two guys at, at a good stage of their careers, you know, some might argue peak of their powers, going, going at it, you know? Yeah, look, it was. It was, you know, a very intense battle for a lot of years, you know. And people look, you know, often talk about the best period of rallying and all that. Look, for Possum and I, that was probably the best period of rallying for us. But when you look at it as a sport and you look now, really there was – Mm. You know, only two of us most of the time. You know, Mitsubishi were there sometimes. That's with a personal a answer, not a sporting answer. Dunk them mm. with um, Ed and whatever, but you know, it was probably, um, you know, as I say, they were amazing cars. It was an amazing spectacle. It was very, very good for rallying from a spectacle point of view, but from a competition point of view, when I look now, there was only two people that could win, and that was mm. possible myself. Self. So, mm. so um, it was probably. Yeah, when you look back now, probably a little bit of a selfish era as well. But um, but yeah, yeah, incredibly glad to have been a part, driven, of, it. Been mm. part of it and driven mm. those cars because you know people still say, "What's what's your favourite car or what's the most awesome car?" And it has to be a World Rally car, car. because mm. they, you know, like when you look at torque, they had you know eight hundred odd newton meters of torque, which was V eight supercar torque figures and. Mm. Yeah, I remember the first time I drove a V8 supercar, I sort of accelerated and yeah, thought it had good power, but... Not like a real rally car. I yeah. wasn't uh, blown away, and I also thought the braking was pretty crap when you <laughs> compared it to a world rally car. Uh, hmm. And when you talk about going for a passenger ride, as you did, I think it's pretty difficult to comprehend how much grip these things have on, hmm. on a loose surface, hmm. you know, like... I remember the first time I went circuit racing and Wayne Bell said to me because he'd race HQs and stuff, he mm. said, just be careful because uh, you'll you'll think you can brake much later because you're on tar and that. He goes, but you'll, you'll be shocked at how good braking is on rally cars in comparison. Wow. And, and it's, it rang very true. True. Cool piece of advice. Let's delve into a couple of the cars if we can. Firstly... A, uh, apologies for sharing a couple of personal stories here, but they're m- magic memories in my life. Fresh out of high school, a young Greg Rust goes to WRC in Perth. It's the first time I've ever been to an international motorsport event of any kind. I was blown away by it, by how well run it was, how good the roads were and so on. And my overarching memory, mate, was regularly coming into the TTE, Team Toyota Europe Service Park, and you are driving, correct me if I'm wrong here, was it the ST165? Was that the, yeah, the car that yeah. you drive? And that, I mean, Carlos Sainz has that, that famous rollover oh. where Louis Moyes' helmet's half out the window. You are Kankinen had driven for them. And you were there, mate. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, the first time I ever drove. I drove for Toyota Team Europe in that event in an ST165, which... Um, what was that thing like? Look, the car was amazing, but a few things in that. Um, one, I wasn't ready for it. Uh, on a psychological point of view. Huh. Uh, my driving was very good, but I would still came from where you run your own team, you look mm. after the car. You know, and when you talk, we spoke about the 185 in the earlier days, you know, we were building road cars into rally cars. Mm. These were proper rally cars with... with um, DNA you know, that the, was... Yeah, 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 yeah. like mm. there was nothing standard in them. And I remember just sidetracked one tick is uh, um, I'm just trying to think of his name, uh, World Rally Driver, uh, Bjorn Waldegard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, was out here to do something and he had a driver, my 185, and he goes, oh, yes, yes, uh, you know, we're so excited because Bjorn Waldegard's driven our ST185. Oh, yeah. We go, what do you think? And he goes, ah, oh, yes, yes, you know, it's a, a nice road car. <laughs> we, we sort of go, oh, right. And and so when I drove the 165. You understood why. I understood mm. why mm. because, you know, here I am looking after it over the rough and, you know, being careful on the gearbox, but it had a dog box that, you know, the faster you change gears, the better. Mm. And, look, I did some reasonably good times in that event, um, 
but you know, I didn't know enough about the whole the whole thing then to 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 be as good as what I could have actually been. Mm. I don't know if I've got the year right. Did something happen to you, Har, and then certainly that bed in that incident for Carlos, and then all of a sudden the pressure swung your way about you, you actually need to finish. You you guys need to finish this rally. Is that what, what yeah, happened? Yeah, uh, might have I'm been the, sure, might not have been the same. Don't year. know whether mm. they had uh, manufacturer points or whatever then. Um, but yo, obviously uh, Carlos had gone out of that rally when he rolled for the third time, time. Mm. and then um, and then they were very very keen for us to finish. But look, to tell you the truth, I was probably yeah driving conservative enough that I was going to finish anyway Way, and yeah. and um but uh, yeah you know I remember and this is a telling thing I remember at uh, one of the stages where Carlos rolled it was a, a tarmac super special in some school grounds in Perth and, and um Murray Coote was walking down and I said watch this and I just revved it up and dumped the clutch and did a a burnout to warm the tires up Murray had come from a Mazda where you couldn't even do that on gravel. You know, I had come from a car where you couldn't do that, and all of a sudden you're there, you can rev this thing up and dump the clutch, clutch. on the tarmac, and you it'll know, spin. nothing, yeah. it'll spin and nothing breaks. And I remember, you know, before the stage, Murray being there, and we were laughing, sort of going, Holy shit, that's next level, next yeah. level, yeah, how good. Before we move to, to 205, which is downstairs and has got some special history around Targa and everything else, as you said before. It, it kind of leads, mate, to to the relationship with with TTE at, at this stage. Um, there was there was there was opportunities with them, and I think you and Coral went to to Indonesia. And, and probably the way that um, we can do this right is that it didn't necessarily work out the way you imagined it would. Did it? No, no look, uh, we had an incredibly good relationship with mm. Ove Anderson. Yes. Um, Mike Breen had an incredibly good relationship with um, Ove Anderson. You know, Mike was a a very uh, smart guy and, mm. you know, whenever his relationship would come yeah. over mm. here, he always made sure he looked mm. after Toyota Team Europe. Uh, Ove used to come to Australia quite a bit for holidays and Mike always made sure he had an LS400 Lexus for him and, you know, um, so we had a very good relationship with Ove. Mm-hmm. He he had a lot of faith in my driving, as did another guy by the name of Pekka who who worked for Toyota Team Europe but as a suspension person mm-hmm. from Olands and he'd sat with me a bit in testing and said, this guy's very good, but... You know, when I look at that, we went and did Indonesia in 97, mm-hmm. but you that was to go and do a job. So Toyota had been banned because of the restrictor in the 205. Yes. That was theirs. And they built the Corolla World Rally car and they uh, over rang and said, look, we have to run two cars in, in um, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. We don't have the budget for it. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to go over, do the recce, Maybe do a couple of stages and then, unfortunately, you have a problem. Gotcha. Gotcha. Absolutely, very happy to do to that. To do that, yeah. So, so we went over there. <clears throat> um, you know, couple, and George Donaldson was the team manager back then. He was someone who rallied himself with mm-hmm. Colin McRae. Probably, you know, I don't know what it was with him. We sort of had a probably a pretty frosty relationship, mm-hmm. and he. He didn't particularly want us mm-hmm. around. Um, so, yeah, there was a whole lot of things that happened there, like no testing, no, you know, uh, when we started the first stage, it was raining, it was in Indonesia. Oriel had mud tyres. They put Z9s on us, which was a high-temperature dry tyre. <laughs> and I'm just gone, what in the hell, you know, like... It's destined not to work, yeah, isn't it's it? it's destined yeah. not to work. Mm-hmm. So then we went off the road just near the end of the first stage and mm-hmm. I said, Coral, was the throttle jammed on. You know, the one thing I remember about that, we went off the road and we're hanging over this bank and the next minute there was 200 Indonesian people there literally lifting the car back on the road, on the road. and we continued wow. on. So I radioed and said, the, you know, the throttle stuck on, mm. which they came back with a... Yeah. Okay. Good one. Mm. So then we did the second stage. Mm-hmm. Throttle stuck on again. 
Then we did the third, and they said just get it to the first service, did the third stage throttle stuck on. I actually realised then what it was, Mm -hmm. and it was when the temperature, you know, we're in Indonesia, it's 40 degrees, Mm -hmm. it's humid, it's Mm -hmm. hot as, and there was something wrong in the map, and when the um, temperature got over 102 degrees, it would switch the anti-lag off, but when you have anti-lag, it relies on the butterfly being open and, you know, we're talking 15 or 20% throttle. Mm-hmm. So when it would switch the anti-lag off, it would leave the butterfly open. So it's getting... Gotcha. Ingestion. Of, it's of, yeah. getting air and yeah. so it's making power. Yeah. So I work and, you know, I've told them this, but they're totally disbelieving of it. Mm. And then um, so it had a manual switch on the fan where you could turn it off. Mm-hmm. So when we... I when we were sitting in line to go into service, I turned the fan off, waited for it to happen. Sure enough, the throttles, you know, that's sitting on the rev limiter. So I just waited until we came into service and it was our time, turned the fan off while I was in the line, drove it in, parked it in the thing and hopped out with the thing sitting there on the rev limiter. Rev limiter. And there's all these engineers running to... Sort it. Mm. Sort it and all of a sudden they uh, realised it. it was a, a real problem and... So then they actually got us to do a couple more stages just to confirm that that was that was the case and it was fixed and yeah and then we're out of that event. It's a shame. Would it, would there have been some other opportunities with them along the way that perhaps didn't didn't come to be or was it more <clears throat> that I, I, what I sense in you is that you've built you've continued this unbelievable relationship with them globally and locally, which is a, a testament to you, but. It may have been a little catalyst for you to go, okay, well, I'm going to focus on running my own show here and doing what we do. Was that? Uh- the, well, so what happened after that event? Because there were so many issues that happened. Um, I spoke to Ove afterwards and they um, promised me for Rally Australia that mm-hmm. I would get a proper test, mm-hmm. you know, set the car up how I wanted it, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then when it came, so. Because after that event, I sort of thought, you know, we're better off just running our own car because mm. if they're not going to, if they don't want you there and they're not interested, you know, you're better off just doing it yourself. Mm. So, um, but it, but Ove spoke to me and said that, you know, I would get the proper test, I would mm, get, cool. you know. Mm. And um, so we turned up to Rally Australia, but Ove wasn't there mm-hmm. for the initial testing and stuff. He mm-hmm. turned up for the rally but wasn't there for the... Testing. For the testing, mm-hmm. and so then um, I went and sat in the forest for two days while Didier Oriol went up and down, up and down, up and down for the test road. And you didn't and, get to and, drive it. And then at about five o'clock in the afternoon, um, and it was interesting because this Pecker guy actually rang over and said, "This is what's happening. It's not right." Mm-hmm. So then um, I did get a couple of runs, okay. like and on dusk, but it was really dusty and mm. it was hopeless and Pecker actually sat with me. And then, interestingly, uh, they had a bet internally, Pecker and Ove, bet that I would get a fastest time in the rally, which I actually didn't. But, um, but yeah, it was nice that he... But, but then I had the choice because we were keeping that car afterwards. That was mm. our car. Mm. So then I was given the choice because there was some discussions that night about not getting a test. Mm-hmm. So I could go out and do a full-day test the next day or they could go back and totally, because my car was actually the test car, mm-hmm. or they could put a new engine, gearbox, drive shafts, completely make the thing brand new. Then I would do the rally and keep it. And you could choose? And I could choose. What you choose? So I chose, yeah, you know, re- probably wrongly, I chose to have re- a refresh, hmm. or a new car. Gotcha. Because, you know, when you look at the cost of the componentry in them and the, hmm. the budget we had, it wasn't, hmm. you know, to have, you know, you're talking gearboxes worth $150,000 and all hmm. that sort of stuff. So, so I chose to have everything new in the hmm. car. But ironically, you think the miles would have actually been Correct. worth it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, correct. Wow. They sure are a special breed rally drivers, but what about when you put a group of them together, on dirt, what could possibly go wrong? Chris Atkinson talks to Rusty about his time in Global Rally Cross. They say zero to 100 in under two seconds, like 
really it was just over that but with the amount of grip we had like that was still still pretty quick and it's more they just keep going you know they just you just keep picking gears basically you could say you pick gears nearly as fast as you can in when you're accelerating like you pick a gear you pick a gear you pick a gear you pick a gear and then you're in six gear flat out it's a shame chris didn't enjoy it 600 plus horsepower six wild drivers jumps mayhem rusty brings his own air sick bags for rides like that back to neil bates before rusty turns green just thinking about it take people just quickly as we go here to Team Toyota Europe. I never went to the rally headquarters. Mm-hmm. I, I got to go with Channel 10 to the Formula One facility in Cologne. Which is at one the same point. facility. Yeah. Uh, but sorry, in, in, in rally, guys, I'm yeah, talking. Yeah. Um, uh, at one, when I got there for, for um, the pre event launch of the car and to meet Timo Glock and so on, they're running a little bit behind. And the comms people said to me, look, just uh, go for a wander, go down underneath the wind tunnel and, and um, you'll like it. And I go, under the wind tunnel? Really? Like, what the heck is this? And when we went down in there, there was like this treasure trove of cars, mainly rally cars. There's a couple of sports cars and things in there as well. There was um, like 1970 spec cars that, that Uwe Anderson may have, have run. There was a Test Mule MR2 in black, which yep. would have been Group B which spec. Group B spec. Yeah, yeah. there's some amazing things down there. What was it like to, you know, to sort of see the framework and, and the operation and what it was like? At the first time I ever went to Toyota Team Europe, you, know, you just blown away just mm. totally blown away you know mm. what i mean like it's just yeah a proper you know it was my first time of seeing how a proper team and a proper Works. budgets mm. and proper factory outfit was and mm. you know it just totally blew you away i always remember a story that because i don't know you know and i'm not sure what your memories are but mm. you know the corridor was quite wide mm-hmm. and um and then it went out the back door and they could get an ST185 and it would be doing 160k or whatever in the corridor before it went back outside. So clearly they'd uh, tried that to uh, know that. Yes. So, you know, it, um, but, you know, it was tile floors, yes. you know, just everything. Mm. You know, you just could not believe the money we used to, mm. you know, and when they came out for Rally Australia, we had a very good relationship with them and, you know, they knew exactly our lack of budget and whatever, and they used to have our spare parts bin or pile for us that they would just put in the corner because they'd work out at Qdale, and they just put that in the corner, and you could help and, sell, and we could take it at the end of the at the end wow. of the rally. So, wow. you know, they were an incredible helpful to us. Ove, when we had the ST two hundred five, he gifted us a brand new engine. Wow. Um, you know, because we were doing our own engines at the time and, mm-hmm. you know, he gave us one of their engines and, yeah, so, you know, and look, the most amazing thing is we're still dealing with... Today, yeah. ...Toyota Kazoo Racing in mm. Europe today. Mm. And after when Western Australia, our engines just went back there for a refresh and, you know, we're doing some stuff. Obviously, they're building a Rally 2 program. We've been a bit of a... A guinea pig for some of that, and you know, we still have, yeah, an amazing relationship. We you know, even know it's completely different people now, mm. and but we've always maintained that relationship, which I suppose you know that's a part of our business to you know have a relationship with them and understand it. But you know, there's like you know the people like Norio, who's in charge of their engine department, is the most amazing guy and has mm. been so helpful to us. And yeah, I think they. Um, they like their poor cousins in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Before we get to 205, quickly, um, Uwe Anderson, like proper legend in, in the history of the sport, what was he like to work with and to have a relationship with? Yeah, he, he was an amazing guy. Uh, he, you know, as I say, he was very, very... Supportive. Supportive, mm. incredibly helpful and friendly towards us. You know, it gave me several opportunities yeah, you know, when I look back at that, I um, you know, and and I talk about my you know, as I say, when I look at my upbringing, which was probably similar to quite a few people back then, when you're trying to do these things yourself and mm. on limited budgets and whatever, you know, I probably could have done better with the opportunities that he gave me mm-hmm. at various times. But you know, in saying that, I went to the race of champions four times. Was in. Com- 
incredibly competitive at that, you know. Mm. So I had the speed for sure at times. You know, if you have a look, there was a time there when Freddie Loikes first started with Toyota Team Europe. You know, there was some talk at the time. It was out of... You and you know, was it Freddie you and, and myself. Wow. And, but, you know, he was based over there. He had some Molro money. He was good, you know, mm. like when you look at it, they... Mm. They probably made the right choice, so you know I don't hold any regrets or bitterness or anything about that. And you know, I, I as I say, if I look back at it, I should have understood the cars, the job, everything a bit better, rather than trying to do the right thing. Two oh five. I think you rattled off before from from championship success to Targa success. Good looking thing, and you've been able to keep that car too. Tell us a little bit about. Yeah, that one. The, I said before that the favourite car to drive was the World Rally car, but mm-hmm. probably my favourite car is actually the two hundred five. Why? Just I love the look of it. Mm. I had an amazing success in that car. You know, I, I think in ninety five, we won every round of the Australian Championship except for Rally Australia. Um, we won Target Tasmania in it. Um, so. You know, it, it, yeah, and it was probably the first proper car that we built okay. because that car has proper Group A cross members, aluminium uprights, you know, like it's a proper, mm. it's the first real rally car that we had as, you know, as a, a WRC See. or as close as a WRC mm. spec that you all get. How did you learn all that stuff from your time at TTE and were the guys around you here, many of them are, you know, long-termers in, in Neil Bates Motorsport and so on, were you learning from some of those experiences? Oh, right, we could build something like that or we could try something like this and so on, within uh, reason, within budget reason, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So, you know, the, uh, because Rally Australia started in Australia, mm-hmm. so then they were coming, as you said, you know, in the early 90s over to Western Australia, which we were over there, so we saw what their cars were, how to build them, you know, like, you know. That's how we can do that. Th- that's know? how <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> and, and you know, we ha- have, you know, you look at us, we're a small operation, but I look at, you know, you look at Daryl, you look at Peter Reynolds who was involved back then, you, you know, young Sam now, mm. you know, we've got some amazing people who have done some amazing things. I look at Ant and, you know, who's just learned the whole Bosch system and mm. why these new rally cars and, you know, he's now completely okay with Bosch ECUs and how they work. And, you know, we've got some amazing people who have done some amazing things. And, you know, sometimes I look, you know, because when you're inside, you look at what you're doing and go, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. But sometimes when you stop and have a look, mm. we've got some amazing people who are very, very talented. Yeah, world class. And, mm. and world class mm. and done some amazing things. You know, we do our own body shells, our own wiring, our own cross members, our own suspension arms. You know, we do everything ourselves and we only got, you know, six full-time people here. So, so you know, it's – and they all – you know, Daryl does, you know, the CAD drawings and most of the 86 stuff and overseas uh, rally cars. Sam is a young guy who's an incredibly good fabricator, incredibly good mechanic, you know, builds and runs the rally cars. Lewis has been amazing in the workshop. He prepares and his, his own hands car, on. his mm-hmm. hands on, mm-hmm. you know, he's into it like a rat, rat up a drain pipe. <laughs> he's sort of, you know full on he's a little bit i suppose like i was mm-hmm. when i was younger you know you got harry who's you know probably taking over from coral's job to a degree these days mm-hmm. and um yeah you know young jeremy who started not long ago is doing most of the 86 stuff and you know coming along in leaps and bounds so yeah we got some amazing people and i look at the work that's done here and then i look at some of the supercar stuff and you know other stuff and i think yeah, where, yeah. where is good? You, you like, uh, if, if not more so, no. when you look at the the build quality, quality. when you and and the evolution of it, like we've gone through a couple of the cars here, right? From you know to two hundred five. When I when you get to S two thousand, quite a gap in your in your championship wins there. But when you get to winning that one, sport had changed significantly. I think we were naturally aspirated um, cars then, yeah. weren't we? It was something totally different. But yet the build quality of that 
and you are obviously very proud of that Corolla because it did come from here fundamentally, hadn't it? You know? Yeah, it actually it's another interesting point when you talk about the S2000 car because uh, that was – we built that car and were – pioneering, you know, weren't We you? were mm. pioneering that and um, Ove actually came to Australia to have a look at that car and then there was talk of that being an homologated car oh, possibly wow. around the world, which Ove was you – know, dealing in all that, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately when he got killed, you know, do I think it would have happened? Probably not because mm-hmm. when I look at the politics of, you know, Toyota Motorsport mm-hmm. Worldwide, it was probably something they would have wanted, you know, at the time TMG to do, which, mm-hmm. you know, would have been the right thing. But The fact yeah. you sparked a conversation about yeah, it is pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, you know? there was lots of conversations going mm-hmm. on about that, and but that was a car that uh, that we built ourselves. You know, they were normally aspirated to litre, um, we did all our own engine development. They had 276 horsepower at the flywheel on an engine dyno. Yo, um, sounded sweet. Too. Yeah, it sounded mm. incredibly mm. sweet. Look, as a category, was probably the worst category yeah, that, uh, yeah. ever in in um, the history of the WRC because um, yeah, they were incredibly expensive. They were mm. highly strung. They were yo mm. like yeah, they were they were hard work, but they were cool cars. What the championship win? mean to you when you look back on it, it now? It, yeah, that was incredibly cool, you know. Um, it, you know, it, it, sort of the, you know, I'd spent a couple of years with Simon winning the championship and I was, you know, very happy to for that, to let that be happening and, you know, he was very good for the team and, mm-hmm. Simon and but about. I'd probably taken a bit of a back seat to, you know, because you got to remember you running the team, you're trying to drive, you're trying mm. to develop cars, you're trying to, you know, it takes its toll a little bit. So was I driving, you know, at my absolute capacity then? Quite possibly not. Mm-hmm. So what happened in 2008 is, you know, I did, Simon, I think he hit a kangaroo in Canberra, then had an engine problem in Perth and whatever. All of a sudden I got a sniff and, you know, all of a sudden I was... The Neil Bates of old. I was the Neil Bates of old and I wasn't going to lose that championship and that's that's what happened. Awesome. And, you know, I, I got that absolute intensity and that absolutely hunger and the fight and everything back to to actually do that and, and win the championship. Very satisfying. We're diving um, all over the place here, but I'll, I'll complete the kind of car chapter if I can because you and Coral would, would have a, a um, you know, as the business continued to grow here, as as the boys Harry and, and um, you know your son Lewis started to come along in in their rallying dream, if you will, you kind of dabbled in classics and you built. I'm not sure if I'm going to get the the model number right here, but you built a 80 or 81 Celica TA22. Is that right? Uh, no, RA40. Oh, sorry, RA40. Um, <clears throat> magnificent thing, beautiful sounding thing. Tell us about that. Yeah. So when um. Uh, Toyota stopped in the 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the global financial crisis had hit and and then, um, you know, we had meetings before Christmas and they said it was all good, it was all going to happen. So we went away on our holidays and and came back and then they said, sorry. Wow. It's been cut. So that was, you know, incredibly hard time because we thought it was going to happen and or had more employees back then, so I had to lay people off and, you know, that was an incredibly tough time. you got mm. people in here who are passionate about the sport and they're sitting in your office crying while you're telling them, oh, unfortunately, mm. they don't have a job and, we're, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was, you know, probably the toughest time for me as a business person, you know, because I've always been, mm. you know, always had a very good relationship with employees mm. and, you know, care about and, what, yeah. mm. what they're up to them and you've got to tell them like that and they're sitting in your office crying. It's pretty how pretty close, tough going. How close did you go from a business point of view? Like were you, were you confident you could keep it running and going and how difficult was all that? Look, the most amazing thing with Toyota is, um, you know, they said to me, okay, yo, here we are, this has happened, what do we need to, you know, so that you don't. Okay. Go broke as a business, mm-hmm. and and so we came to an agreement on, you know, and like me all, and you know, people talk about which I'm sure we'll talk about sometime the relationship with Toyota mm. for so many years. Probably the reason that's been they've been incredibly loyal, but mm. so have I. Yes, I've never looked at them as a a piggy bank. You know, people mm-hmm. look at Toyota and think, oh yeah, they're huge, they've got lots of money. Mm. 
take, take, take. I, I've never been like that. And so, you yeah, know, when we're faced with this situation, I was incredibly fair to them. They were incredibly fair to me. And, mm. you know, we continue on as a, a relationship. But, um, you know, we had to then change what we did. We, you know, and as a business, we did a lot more customer cars. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I was missing rallying, so I, we decided to build the RA40 Sleeker, which was a, a project that we just did in between time over over 12 months. And, you know, there was a couple of things there. One, I wanted to continue rallying mm-hmm. um, because I, I started rallying because I loved it and, you know, all of a sudden, and, you know, I was an age then where the, you know, to be a factory driver those days were probably mm. probably gone. And... Um, so, yeah, I just wanted something that was fun and I could go out and play with. And well, what you built, what you built was a tip of the hat in, in a nostalgia sense, but with the build quality that you guys have become renowned for. I mean, it, it is a seriously cool-looking, sounding, rear-wheel drive. You'd kind of gone full circle the, in, in that sense, hadn't you, you know? Yeah, I started off in a rear-wheel drive car. And, look, there was a couple of things for that. One, we wanted to build a Everyone spoke about escorts and they were the best car and no one could ever build a car, rear-wheel drive car, better than an escort or whatever. Class. So yeah, yeah, In yeah. that class. Mm. So that was a bit of a motivation. And, you know, I'd watch the Otago rally in New Zealand and I sort of thought it'd be cool if we built that and then you went and did the Otago rally and beat the escorts. And, you know, uh, so when we built that car, the first rally we ever did was the Calder rally. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that was when they were running the front-wheel drive cars and Eli was there in the Honda and it came down to the last stage to see who won the rally outright <laughs> out of Eli and myself. So all of a sudden we've built this classic car, car. and we almost won an ARC round, round. outright. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, it was a pretty cool car straight off the bat and then, you know, we went over to Otago and ran that car twice, won it both times and, you know, the second year... Hayden was there in a BDA and and he was slightly quicker than me, mm-hmm. but I beat him and um, I remember uh, Richard Mason saying to me because uh, him and Hayden were rivals at the time and you know, and he goes, oh, I beat him in a stage or two and he'll probably throw it off the road and Hayden ended up going off the road. I'm sure it had nothing to do with me whatsoever, but mm. we went on to win that rally and and, you know, that was the second time at Otago, so to go there twice and when it was a very cool thing in a car that, yeah, I remember when I went over there for the first time and I, mm. yeah, if you watch the program for that in the pre-event thing, they don't even, other than saying that I came over, they don't even mention me. Wow. Like when they're talking about who mm. might win or mm. who might whatever. And who were the contenders? Who were the contenders? <laughs> not this goose and a sleeker from Australia. Australia. Mm. So, yeah, so it was pretty cool then to go. And I remember I won the first stage by a second a kilometre because you've got to understand the rallying over there. It's a one-pass recce. Mm-hmm. They've all done it three million times, but the first stage was actually a closed forest stage and um, a lock forest. So I won that stage by a second a K and I remember being in the line and, for the second stage and Jeff David came in I said oh what did you what time did you do thinking that he might be close or whatever and he goes not as fast as you and then Derek Ayson goes no one was as fast as you you can go home now oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> which Derek Ayson's a really yes. a really cool guy and yes. yo it was a it was just a, a funny off the cuff comment oh, he goes yeah. bugger you mate <laughs> If you can, share a little of the stats on that car. So what, what, what are we talking? Uh, twin cam, Toyota engine, obviously. Um, does it run mechanical fuel injection? What do you, no, what have you got no, on that? No, it's uh, got uh, carbies. Uh, okay. So it's an RA40 sleeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, weighs 1,000 kilo spot on. Um, it's got a Series 1 3SGE engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes 196 horsepower at the wheels. It's got uh, Webers. It's got a Hollinger H6S, which is a H-pattern Hollinger gearbox. It's got a Hilux diff. Mm. You know, when you look at it's got Murray shocks in it. Um, and I looked at the cars in the sleeker range and I love the shape of the TA22. But when you look at the RA40 as a car mm-hmm. and, you know, the rules back then, you couldn't modify front wheel arches and various things, a few things. It was homologated with rack and pinion steering. Mm-hmm. The distance between the strut towers and the 
um, firewall was bigger than any other model, which means you can get the engine back further, gotcha. which means you have the, mm. the weight in between the axles better. Um, it had big wheel arches, so you could run decent suspension travel with 15-inch mm-hmm. wheels. And, um, yeah, so that's the car we chose. And as a road car, they're an ugly car, but as a rally car, once you put the flares oh, on sweet. it and mm. the rear spoiler and stuff, it's a, a cool car. Let, let, let's go supercars here, firstly. Where were you when you drove? I mean, you talked about the Brock story before, which was amazing. But in a, in a supercars chapter, I mean, there's things like driving with Paul Wheel that come to mind, Glenn Seaton, among others. Where was the first time you drove one? You talked about your impressions before. What, what, what car was it that you first drove? Uh, the first car, supercar I drove was Glenn Seaton's Falcon, which uh, Winton? Was, no, Calder. Calder, okay. Calder once again. And that was a Channel 10 day when Channel 10 ran um, an end of year party because obviously mm. Channel 10 was big in motorsport back then. And um, so we had the World Rally car there and we were doing rally rides. So they had the supercars over there and Fantastic. we're doing um, – Rides around Calder and then and then um, I'd taken Glenn for a ride in the rally car and he said, oh, do you want to come over and have a drive of the supercar? Fantastic. What do so, you think? Uh, yeah, like I thought it was really cool. But as I say, a couple of things that, um, you know, people talk about supercars and they look at them as the holy grail and, mm. you know, I'll probably get shit canned for this. But, you know, when you, when you drive a supercar, what other car in the world do you need a light on the dash and some uh, some beeps in the ear to tell you you've locked the brake up mm. because they've got no feel. Mm. You know, so so the power was amazing. You know, it was cool to drive one, but I thought they brake like shit. I thought they <laughs> turn like shit. I thought, you know what I mean? Like mm. they're, they're pretty agricultural and mm. particularly back then they've probably improved over the years. But, but you know, the, the people say describe a supercar and I say, it's something with all this power, with no feel, mm. and you know it's got a squeal in your ear and a light on the dash to tell when you lock the brakes <laughs> up. And that, you know when you, as a co-driver back then, that was the hardest thing to to get. You know Limited when you weren't driving mm. around, you know you look at a co-driver job back then, and it's changed a bit these days because they do a lot more testing and they running super two and, mm, and they, mm. you know, got co-driver sessions, all that sort of stuff. But back then you turned up and, you know, the the main driver would go round, 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 then they'd say, I'd oh, jump in, don't lock a tyre, don't do this, don't do that, but be as close to the main driver as you, you can. can. Mm. And that was what the job was. Mm. What was the lure for you, like the, the chance to go and do Bathurst? And I think you were, did you and Rick drive together in one of yeah, them as well? We yeah, we did drive. The last Bathurst we did yeah. actually was in uh, Tony Noski's Falcon. Fantastic. Uh, and it was sponsored by Nick Sess and Rick and I did that together. And Rick actually did a year of uh, supercars. Yep. He drove for... That's going to do my head in there. Yeah. It's not Bob Forbes, wasn't it? No, um, no. Uh, WPS? Uh, uh, no, Colour Scan. Colour Scan, well done. Okay. Colour Scan. Yep. So he drove that car for 12 months and you know, did very well in some events, had a few issues and problems, I think, uh, in the wet. And one Baffers, he was second fastest in the warm-up in the wet. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, did, like all those things, you know, you need to be in the right car at the right time and mm. all that sort of stuff. But, look, I, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. You know, he was... I, I was well aware of my job mm-hmm. and I never, you could say I never stuffed up. We could talk about the 2001 when I drove with Wayne Gardner and, you know, um, you know I was still probably a little bit annoyed about that to a degree because uh, we were on pole, Wayne Gardner came in, handed the car over to me in the lead and, and then I'm not sure who was commentating at the time and they go, oh, he stalled it under the pressure because when they let it down but when... What people didn't know is when Wayne Gardner bought the car in, it had no clutch. So I had to turn it off, put it in gear and start it in gear. Oh, wow. To, wow. to get out of the pits. Mm-hmm. And um, then I only did a few laps and the clutch was disintegrating so I kept losing drive. And then uh, Greg Crick punted me up the top. Not his fault because he came up behind me and as the thing lost drive and he's hit me up the backside and spun and I ended up in the sand at... McPhillam in then got it out of there and it did a couple more laps and and then expired completely the clutch and I think yeah to the outside world they thought that I'd wreck Wayne Gardner's Baffus but uh 
the simple fact is the car was doomed yeah. when he came in, handed over to me, and yeah, what they should have done was probably parked it in the pits then, it's, but mm. they sent me out to look like a goose. Which, and, which car was that? I'm trying to remember uh, which That name. was the Falcon. We're talking Stone Brothers? No. What, no, uh, no, 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 Seton. Glen Seton, Glen Seton. Yeah. sorry, sorry. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So, as I, so we were fastest in, it rained the whole time that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were fastest in almost every practice session and then we qualified on pole and were leading the race and yeah sure. but as i say it's a, you know one of those stories that happens at the time that mm. you you don't tell or whatever but i, I there was more detail there to was that. a lot more detail mm. to that and yeah i didn't do anything wrong nah, so it was nah. just just uh, yeah, it was the way it ended up That's the end of part two of my podcast with Aussie rally legend Neil Bates. Now, I was actually in the commentary box that day at Bathurst in 2000. I can't immediately remember who it was in our broadcast team that was commentating at the time and said those words. Sometimes when it's live and there is drama, you call what you see, you react instinctively. Invariably, the story evolves or becomes clearer later through pit reports and so on. If it was me that said that, then I need to own it and apologise to Neil. I'm glad we've been able to set the record straight here and share a little-known backstory with you. Now, because he has done an incredible amount in his career, we have more for you. Yep, a third instalment is all loaded up and ready for listeners to line up on the stage start right now and hit the go button. From the world-class work being done by Neil Bates Motorsport, to the emergence of his sons, Harry and Lewis, plus the piece of rally history the family holds, his love of driving trucks, and crashing one of the coolest cars he's ever owned after agreeing to sell it. Mm-hmm.